so one, one suggestion is if we could um, observe the noble silence more. Obviously around where I am at the food area, there's going to be talking, people are making offerings and introducing themselves, but, and there's always business to transact, but if you can, outside of those necessities, if you can practice noble silence, not get into long discussions with each other, because thinking is inner speaking, and speaking is verbal thinking. Got it? <laughs> and in other words, the more you talk, the more you think. The more you think, the more you talk. So if, you, if you're interested in the silence of the mind, you have to somehow curtail um, the aspects of mind which stimulate thought. So one of the things we're curtailing are like iPhones. That'll stimulate your thoughts if you watch whatever you watch. Uh, and then we're curtailing a lot of the uh, outgoings of like uh, media and so on and so forth. And this is called Indriya Sangvara, sense restraint. And it's very important in, in bhikkhu life and in, in the life of quietening the mind. So um, noble silence actually means a space between thoughts. It's when the mind isn't engaged in thinking. That's what noble silence usually refers to. And that's a very important space to begin to observe because in the observation of that, you, you, you incline more to Nibbana. When you are engaged in thought, you, you incline more towards ego. Not in a bad way, you know, it's not immoral to do that. So I would recommend, you, you know, you have this really golden opportunity, nine, 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 nine or eight days left of, of meditation. Try to be more like a Rusi, try to be a hermit. And uh, if, you lead, if you read like Lumpo Liam's um, if, if you haven't read this, please read this. It's in a book called No Worries. And in it, there's a bit of his biography, and it describes his enlightenment. Very, very inspiring, very moving. And he's just living the normal life of Wat Papong, working with the other monks. But as soon as the work's finished, he goes back to his kuti and does his practice. Doesn't engage in all of this stuff that monks are talking about, just goes back to his practice. So that kind of diligence does pay off. And it doesn't have to be um, cold. You know, we can still be warm and friendly with each other. But it's just that sense of privacy, silence, and, and curiosity about what, how does the mind work and, and what happens when I'm with myself, right? So please, if you can, do, do try to work on that noble silence. And then if, if, if you find that... Um, someone is talking and you think they shouldn't be talking and you're getting angry at them, that's your problem. <laughs> it's not them, it's your mind. Right? Anger is your mind. So don't worry about other people unless they fall down, in which case pick them up. <laughs> one, one of our diacus fell yesterday and she was saved. Um, so obviously we're going to take care of each other, but just be very private and, and, and very uh, solitary and yet not cold, not, not indifferent. So that, that would be helpful. Why, why might this suggestion of um, practicing awareness with the way things are, why might that be peaceful? How does that fit in with the teaching? Well, the central, the core of 
Theravada Buddhism is the Four Noble Truths. So hopefully you all know that. You haven't memorized that, you're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, what have you been doing? So there is a place for in intellectual um, development, and, and this is not the place for it. This isn't in a, an academic setting. This is a meditative setting. But do, you know, you should really know Four Noble Truths and, under, and kind of get that, get that into your conceptual framework because that's what you should be referring to all the time. That's the model that the Buddha gave us. And so as monastics, we, we memorize these things. We're asked to memorize them. It's interesting, when you memorize things, uh, then they just come up because you know them. They come up quite spontaneously. Now, we don't live in a culture of memory retention. We live in a culture of media, of uh, digital retention, right? So, so we're not acculturated to memorizing. In 100 years ago, people were whether in this society or other societies. So do, do try to uh, review the Four Noble Truths as an, as, a, as an intellectual structure so that it informs your sense of right understanding. So just to remind you, you have First Noble Truth is dukkha or suffering. There is suffering. Second is there's a cause, samudaya. Third, there is the, there's an end to suffering, niroda. And fourth, there's the path. First, there is dukkha. Dukkha has to be understood. You have to understand the discontent of the mind. You have to stand under it. You have to engage with it. Samudaya, there is a cause. That cause has to be abandoned, and that cause is attachment to craving. So you get your head around what craving means, tanha. Third noble truth, niroda, the cause must be abandoned, and that the end of suffering has to be realized. You have to notice it. Fourth, there is the path, Noble Eightfold Path, that has to be developed. So this, this framework is, is, is very, very helpful, actually. Uh, if, if you re We review it all the time in Theravada Buddhism, almost as much as we take the five precepts. It kinda, you know, it's always brought in, in, into the framework of our discussion. So how would, how would um, the awareness with the way things are, how would that fit with the Four Noble Truths? Well, when, you're, when you sustain awareness with the way, way things are, you're not functioning from tanha, from craving. And if you're not functioning from craving, you're abandoning craving. And if you're abandoning craving, you're practicing niroda, and you're realizing the end of suffering, and the end of suffering is synonymous with nibbana. Right? So if you're, if you're practicing awareness with the way things are, and you start to feel um, bored and your mind wants to create a project or go traveling or go shopping, that's tanha, or what we call bhava tanha. Your, your thoughts take you into a sense of rebirth and you think for 10 minutes and the bell rings and you've been wherever you've been. You've been to Rome or wherever, gone traveling or organize next year's Katina or whatever you've done. And, and so that bhava, right, if you're aware of the arising of thought and the stories of thought and the future of thought, and you're aware of that, but you don't go there, you're, you, you practice awareness with the, the, the changing nature of thought, then you're abandoning craving. And that's the road to happiness.
the abandonment of craving. Not the getting rid of. Repression is another kind of... It's not getting rid of something. It's still a kind of desire. Uh, or if you feel um, like discomfort or pain, now the desire mind there is to get out of the pain, which is, again, biological. But you just watch it for a while. You just observe. You're practicing awareness with discomfort. right? And you're just aware of it and aware of it. The, the experience itself might not be very pleasant, but what you're doing is you're, you're, you're coming to the third noble truth. You're abandoning craving. And that's why sometimes when your meditation or the, the, the 45 minutes that you sat here was maybe unpleasant, that you can walk away from it feeling very, very peaceful. And why is that? It's because of the third noble truth. You've abandoned craving. You've given up craving. Hmm? So if you get the logic of that, if you get the logic and you take that, then you begin to, to monitor your inner world around craving. What do I want? What do I not want? What do I want to get rid of? What do I want to become? And, and what you're trying to bring your mind to is the place of non-becoming and non-resistance. And this is the use of, I think, what we mean by vitaka vijara, or the use of thought, or the use of language as a kind of self-coaching. Let's say if you are a, let's say you're an athlete, and you, you, you like, you're a, let's say you, you run the 100, 100 meters, you're a sprinter, and you're serious about it, and you have a coach, and the coach watches you, and the coach sees, well, you're not raising your legs high enough. So the coach yells out to you, higher, 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 higher. Right? That then in, in encourages you to do the right thing. And that's what we can do with thought. This is, I think, what we mean by vitaka vijara, or right thinking, is we can use thought hmm, as a kind of self-coaching to bring us to a proper place in our awareness. And, and, and two of the words I use a lot, and maybe I'll use them on this meditation, is non-becoming, not becoming. So that, to me, is about bhava, bhava tanha. You know, this constant sense of a self, going to the future, doing something, becoming something, whatever it might be. So when I say non-becoming, that's like a mirror for me. And if my mind is trying to get something in the meditation, that mirror shows me, oh, no, no, that's, that's going to the future. Come back to the present moment. Come back to the present moment. And on, on the other side, non-resistance. And that's the, the vibhavatanha, the trying to get rid of something. And that that you're know, trying to get rid of thought, trying to get rid of a negative emotion, trying to get rid of pain, very, very prevalent in the bhava, in the, in the tanha mind. So if I put a word like non-resistance in there, then that becomes a mirror to my resistance to the way things are. And if I use that kind of language, ba'a, non-becoming, non-resistance, that brings me to the center of awareness of the way things are and takes me to Niroda, this is the, the, the end of suffering, the, the non-grasping of, of craving. Now, each of us has our own words, I think, which work for us. So I would suggest that you, you like, I'm sure you do it already, but, but you know, develop your own language of self-coaching in, in meditation where you can 
know, once, once you get an insight into how your mind works and how your particular defilements bother you and so on and so forth, once you get an insight, it's good to get a word around that insight. So when I, when I for myself, I saw that there's a, there's a something in me which is trying to attain something in meditation, which is very common, especially if you're a monk, you're supposed to attain all kinds of things. Right? So, so then I saw that sort of becoming, I said non-becoming. So from the insight, I developed one word. And then that one word always brings me back to the same insight. And the same with the kind of um, resistance I might have to some mood or emotion or thought or feeling. I, I, I saw, oh yeah, that's trying to push away, trying to get rid of, trying to annihilate. No, no, that, that's, that's still tanha. Now that's resistance. Okay, so then the insight is non-resistance. So you develop a language around your own insights that you can then use for the constant evolution of your practice. Insights are not lost, but we forget them. You, you might have an insight into how your mind works and how suffering works, but then you, then you forget it. And so these, this is a very important use of language. And it's not discursive. It's not about ego. It's not about like a- analysis. It's just a, a suggestion. So this would be good. This would be good if you could, and I'm sure you do that already. This is just to encourage you. Um, so also in, 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 I think, in the, in the progress of meditation, most meditators, I think, begin with complex techniques and then they find it rather burdensome or tiresome to always be trying to control the mind. Then they begin to relax those complex techniques and go to something more simple until they usually go to choiceless awareness. That's a very common pattern. Because as the mind quietens down, what happens is the sense of the doer, the doing, becomes less needful. Like if my mind's really scattered and I'm just all over the place, then I need to just grab hold of something like the breath and just be there. Just be there for a while. But as that works, then the sense of me having to do something, that becomes much softer. You know, it becomes more, more, less, less like a holding. It begins to relax more. And the mind can still sustain awareness. Hmm? Until finally the, the whole sense of, of the doer becomes the object of awareness. You begin to question yourself, well, who's actually doing this meditation? And this is the idea of jitru jit. The mind knowing the mind. But it takes a while to get there. You have to be rather quiet, otherwise it gets very, very confusing. So the kind of practices I've suggested so far. In the morning, I I was suggesting the heart practice. So I'll do that most mornings. That's very important because it gives you the emotional tone which keeps you going. Very, very helpful. And it's fun. (laughs) It's just nice to do. So nice to do is okay. It's all right. It's not, it's not against the law. Um, so that, I think, is a constant input, which is very, very helpful in whatever way you can. Metta bhavana, mudita bhavana, just even, even like um, each meditation, bringing it in just as a beginning. Just get that feeling, abiding there a long time or whatever you want, but that is very, very helpful. Then uh, what I suggested, I think, in the... Um, I, I did a bit of breath meditation, but I'll do that later. But the suggestion in the, in the morning meditation was whole body awareness. 
Okay, and, and what I'm trying to do there is uh, indicate to you how you, you, can, you can think that you are uh, a conscious person in a body. That's the usual reference we have. I am someone, I'm incarnate in a body. My teeth hurt, my, my, uh, I'm getting older, I've got more wrinkles, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So the identity is with the body. I am the body, and that's kind of uh, natural. But when you start to use awareness and you see the body as an object, you begin to find a freedom uh, within the karma of having a body, but you are no longer the body. It's not that you become dissociated or a ghost. <laughs> it's not that. It's more like you just know, oh, your body feelings come and go, but that which knows is actually not the body. So is, is consciousness in the body or is the body in consciousness? Is, is awareness in the body or is the body in awareness? And the, and the teaching suggests that actually the body is in awareness. Now when you start to do that, then awareness begins to have a lot of space. And in that spaciousness, you begin to see, actually, awareness is unlimited. It's not bounded. It doesn't have a boundary. Like right now, you could think, I could ask you, what is the, what is the outer limit of awareness? Can you find, you can't. Is there a limit? It, it has no boundary. Is there a center? Can you find like a thing called a me? You know, we say, I am aware, but okay, I ask you right now, find a me, like a center. It just goes silent, doesn't it? So awareness has no center, has no boundary. It's limitless, boundless. And we get to that when we start to notice thought is thought, body is body, feeling is feeling, satipatthana. That's what satipatthana is doing, hopefully. Um, so this, uh, I'd like to just do that body meditation again. And um, so what I'm, what, I would, what I'm asking is if you can get that sense of like full body awareness. And, and again, the language I'm using is let the body become feeling. Let the feelings of the body become conscious. Now that's different than me focusing on my knee, me focusing on my hip. It's just like create the awareness let the sensations come up and then make it bigger and bigger and then you see the body as sensation. And now what we're doing is we're, 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 not, we're not thinking body. You know, we're, we're getting the direct experience of what body is before thought. It's rather like uh, if, I, if I touch this, right, and I say, well, that's hard. That's secondary. That's a thought. But heart is what? Heart is has no has no description. It's it's like that. And then my perceptions describe it. So we're trying to get in in terms of body awareness. We're trying to get to how the body actually feels before you say, "Oh, my knee hurts," or or whatever you say about it before thought. What is the body before thought? Because thought and the body is very much wrapped up with attachment. You too, right? And, and non-grasping is, is not, not, some, not in some way not having a body, the body's still there, but rather getting the perspective that the body arises and ceases in awareness, anicca dukkha anatta. So what does anatta mean? 
And that doesn't mean that, that, that you don't, the body doesn't exist. It's just that awareness knows it as an object in nature coming and going. Yeah? Easy. <laughs> I hope that's not too much. Anyway, that's where I'm coming from, just so you kind of warned. Um, let's do some sitting. Stretch your legs a bit. And then we'll sit for uh, 45 minutes. And I'll try to go to that body awareness again. <clears throat> Sound okay in the back? Okay, great. Fill it up there. Oh, mark, mark. Okay. <clears throat> So follow me, listen to sound. Listen to the person opening their cough drop <laughs> and they'll feel self-conscious. <laughs> listen to sound. Now let me introduce those two words, non-becoming. So in the listening, you're just receptive, non-becoming, not going anywhere, non-becoming. And this speaks to bhavatanha, non-becoming. Listening. And then the other, non-resistance, and that speaks to vibhavatanha, so non-resistance. So you put the word in and then, then you observe. Is there resistance? Or non-becoming, is there becoming? Bring your attention to your face. Let the feelings in your mouth become conscious. So you localize your attention and then you kind of wait and you start to feel things. You feel, maybe you feel the lips. Perhaps the teeth, tongue, let that become conscious. non-becoming and non-resistance. Notice like you're not going anywhere. This isn't something about 
time trying to get something. Feel your ears. Let the feelings, the sensations in the ears become conscious. So you have to kind of wait and you have to be attentive. So even if you feel nothing, it doesn't really matter. The fact is you you are attentive. Bring your attention to the nose. Feel the bridge of the nose. Feel the nostrils. Let that whole area become conscious. Now, if you're really trying to see something special, your eyes will probably get tense. So don't tense your eyes, just let things come into consciousness. Move your attention to your eyes, eye sockets and the eyes themselves. So let the eyes become feeling, let it become conscious. Receptive awareness. Feel your forehead and your temples. So all the time you're, you're, you're letting go of craving. You're not using craving as the motivation of observation. You're just observing for the sake of knowing. Just what is it like? How does it feel? Feel the back of the head.
Feel the whole head as a mass of vibrations, sensations. Down to the neck, feel your throat. Feel the back of your neck, feel that whole area. Let that be conscious. So you do have to stay present. You, have to do, you do have to make effort to actually notice what this feels like, because it's easy just to start thinking. So that does take a kind of um, uh, aditana, I suppose. It's determination. What does it really feel like there? Throat. Now the shoulders. Let the shoulders become feeling, become conscious feeling. Now the arms, the upper arms. The lower arms. So you localize your attention and that puts you into the present moment. Feel your hands. And that whole area, shoulders, arms, and hands, let that be feeling. Attention at the chest, feel the outer, the clothing and the skin. Feel the upper rib cage. Feelings of the lungs. And the heart. The abdominal area, skin and clothing. The lower spine and lower ribs.
and whatever organs are in there that you feel, the stomach, intestines, kidneys, whatever, whatever is felt. You don't have to identify it. Let it just let it be conscious inside there. Pelvic area, skin, and clothing. pelvic bones the organs in the pelvic area Feel the hips, let the feelings in the hips become conscious. So all the time you start to notice that awareness doesn't change. The bodily feelings change. The focus changes, the awareness itself. Feel the thighs. Feel the knees. Feel the shins, calves. ankles and feet. <coughs> Step outside and notice the whole body. Now, not as an idea, but rather as, well, as what? As changing sensations and feelings and heat and pain. And just be the witness of body as body. Again, listen to sound. and perceive sound as an object in awareness. Whole body awareness, receive the body as in awareness. Two objects changing.
Notice that the sound keeps changing. The bodily sensations keep changing. And awareness is unchanging. It knows. But awareness isn't an object. You can only be that awareness. Finally, then you could just abide as awareness, observing change. But if you find you get a bit lost in thought, then go back to that cycle of bodily awareness with your face and so on through the body. And keep calming the mind by noticing parts of the body. At some point you probably get tired of that. Then you can just practice awareness of change. So it's something you have to kind of experiment with. Do we have a bell ringer for 45 minutes? You have someone? You. <laughs> I can get a volunteer. You can do. So um, we have a couple of hours, and uh, <clears throat> there's no, you can practice sitting until 5 o'clock. You can go and do some walking meditation, do some lying meditation. So there's no uh, fixed program from now to five, but someone will ring the bell <laughs> uh, in 45 minutes. So if that helps you discipline sitting and walking, and then you can come back in after 45 minutes and uh, do some sitting. Uh, but it's not compulsory. So quite often it's just nice to have some space. And sometimes it's just good to go sit in a chair and just look at a tree and just notice the way things are. So if you're, if you're a person that is very intense in, in the way you make effort, then kind of consider, well, maybe if I just sit in a chair and look at a tree. But if you're a person that's choi choi <laughs> and you put no effort forth, then the discipline is helpful. Like four to five minutes walking, four to five minutes sitting, four to five minutes walking, and so on. So that you get these long periods of sustained um, intention to be aware of the way things are. And, and that, that, those long periods of what we call formal practice are very much the hallmark of the Thai forest tradition. 
uh, and and the Burmese traditions too, I'd say. But but there's something about doing formal practice for long periods, no matter what your experience is, pleasant or unpleasant, that is constantly reinforcing uh, the Dhamma in terms of awakening, knowing the way things are. And that constant reinforcement, moment by moment really, for uh, three hours has profound effect on your mind you know, all day and, and all week. Whereas like a, a short meditation of 15 minutes, it's nice, it's good, right? But it doesn't have, obviously it doesn't have as profound effect because you don't have the kind of uh, momentum and sustained intention, sustained intention, sustained intention. If you think in a negative way, you imagine if I sustain an intention to hate someone, negatively, you know, I hate them, 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 and I do that for three hours, not good. I'm not recommending it. But it has, you can see, you can see what a strong impact that has on the flow of consciousness. In the same way, this intention of wholesomeness and awakening, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't have this kind of emotional strength, or, or it's not emotionally obvious, I, I suppose, but it does start to play out where you notice how your mind works, how you get attached, what letting goes, and so on. So do, do try to use the whole length of time. Don't, I'd suggest you don't go off and you know, um, read a book or um, talk with a neighbor about the price of mangoes in Bangkok or something like that. <laughs> I suggest this, this is you know, a very, very valuable time. Okay, uh, so then we meet again. And so there'll be a bell also at 5, I guess, tea time. And then we'll meet at, at 7. It's seven o'clock. Okay? Yeah, please go ahead.